job on that song this morning. Take our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon? If you need a handout this morning, if you slip your hand up, Eddie will get that to you. I think we're, I think we're good. Nice work there. Mark chapter number 3. We're going to read this morning verse number 20 through verse number 30 this morning. So a little bit of reading this morning. We'll dive right into the message. And I got a few introductory remarks for you, and then we will dive right into this passage. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, They went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, They came a long ways. They came a long ways, these scribes did. He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided amongst itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan riseth up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. What a handful of verses this morning. What a tough sermon to prepare and work on this week. In all honesty, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably one of those passages, since we are going verse by verse through Mark, we're hitting all of it. We're not skipping anything. Would I, I might have skipped some of this right through this passage right here. But let's be honest this morning. There are many Christians that struggle with that phrase of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And even get fearful about it when it's got nothing to do with anything a Christian could do. And so I think that it's an important to look at. So this morning, this might not be something I would do on a Sunday morning. But like we're talking about coming up on Wednesday nights, we got three books of the Bible left. We're going to be through the books of the Bible during the summer months. If you have an area in the Bible you'd like me to cover on Wednesday nights, or maybe there's something you have questions about, like this would be one of those topics. We should cover it today, so no one should have many questions after today, right? Yeah, I might just open up even more questions. I might open up a can of worms with you this morning. Who knows? But if you got questions about a certain Bible doctrine or something, that, those Wednesday nights during the summer will be a great time to go through all those things. But as we look here this morning, as we dive into this passage, I want you to understand something. That the Bible is an amazing, life-changing book. 
It feeds our souls and our spirit by providing spiritual milk and spiritual meat. Milk goes down a lot easier than meat does. Meat sometimes takes some time to chew, and you got to get through it. And I heard, I heard you ladies enjoyed the meat yesterday at the um, ladies thing, the brisket. And so that's a good thing. You know, say, if you were going to complain, I was going to tell you to go to McDonald's. They're more expensive than what you paid for that meat yesterday. But didn't get any complaints, so that's a good thing. Ryan did a good job there, and mine wasn't too bad. Almost 20 hours worth of work to get that thing where it was. But praise the Lord, and you guys devoured in a few minutes what took us 20 hours to get together. Yeah, no kidding, right? There we go. Just exactly. So as we look at this passage this morning, the one other thought I want you to have this morning is this, that it's good for us to emphasize, again, the importance of context when you deal with difficult passages. Context is very important. I think someone said it like this, a text out of context is a pretext for a proof text. One of the keys to effective Bible study and Bible interpretation is to let the Bible do it for itself. There's a lot of people that say a lot of things about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I will just give it to you real simple. We could just go home in a second, but you look at verse number 30. It says, because they said. The Bible says what it's all about right there in verse number 30. That's where it comes from. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. I got more for you this morning. Don't worry about that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll dive in today. Father, we're grateful for today. Grateful for your word. Grateful for every line of it, every verse, every jot, every tittle. I pray that as we're gathered here this morning that you'd bless the time that we have. Help, these, help us today to focus in on your word. Guide my thoughts and direction this morning. And I pray you'd be pleased and glorified with all that's said and done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the Christians out there that get disturbed and worried about blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, I hope to comfort you today. And if there's someone here who doesn't know the Lord, I hope that you're not comforted by the message this morning. We saw last week that the crowds had gathered with Jesus. He takes his disciples and, then they, and he calls them and the apostles, and we went through their names last week. And we see that when we see what happens in verse number 20, it says, And the multitude cometh together again, so they could not so much as eat bread. There's a huge group of people that have gathered here before Jesus. And there are, a lot of people are here, but some things that we see that are kind of interesting, as we note here. We see verse number 21 says, And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he's beside himself. The first thing, number one this morning, is friends, and you'll see later on next week, and even family, thought he was crazy. This was their response to Jesus. Quite a different response later on for uh, Jude, right? And James, we can talk about them later on. But as we look here, and as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see right here, they said he was beside himself. They thought he was crazy. They had lived with him. They knew him well. And this was their response to their brother, to their good friend. They were coming out basically to try and save him from himself. Second thing that we see is we see the scribes thought that he was demonized. 
Now, as we look here, and while his family thought he was mad, the scribes thought that he was bad and he was filled with the evil spirit, and that's what was going on here. We see there in verse number 22, it says, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem, they came 90 miles, about 90 miles to come to where Jesus was here. And we know the scribes were like the religious police of the day. Going to watch everything that he said, watch what he did. So the news and the fame of Jesus Christ was spreading all over the place. And we've just seen the fact that this huge group of people still following him, he goes up into the mountain, he calls his apostles, and then we see this group of people are still gathered there. What was he doing with this crowd? Remember he healed many of their diseases? Not only did he do that, but he cast out many devils as well. They fell down before him. And so as we look here, we see the fact that his friends and family thought he was crazy, and the scribes thought that he was demonized. And you look there in verse 22, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Now, you got to understand, this was quite an insult to the Lord here. Now, we see as we think about this, we see letter A, they say Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub. Now, when they say this here, the name Beelzebub comes from an ancient Canaanite. It basically means the Lord of the dung flies or the Lord of filth. That's what they're calling Jesus right here. They say that he's possessed by this God. That's quite a statement right here by these scribes. Wow, you've got the Pharisees and the Herodians trying to kill him. You've got the scribes traveling a long way to hear everything that he's saying. And they look and they see the miracles take place. They see these different things happening. And when this happens, they say he's possessed by the Lord of the dung flies, the God of filth. They also say, letter B, that Jesus casts out demons by the prince of the demons. The word prince refers to the chief demon as another way of saying he bows to Beelzebub and serves Satan. That's what the scribes are saying right here. These are the ones that knew the scriptures pretty well, or so they thought. These are the ones who should have been able to see who Jesus was. But they did not. So you've got all those people of that day, the Pharisees, the separatists, seeking how to kill him. You've got the scribes watching what he's doing, and as Jesus is doing the work of the Lord, we see they cry out, he's not doing the work of God. He's filled with the, he's possessed by the God of the dung flies, and he serves Satan. That's what the scribes say right here. That's right where we're at in this passage. This is context for this passage. And so look at what happens after... What an insult. The Son of God, King of kings, Lord and lords, came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. People are seeking Him. He's not drawing crowds to himself. They're coming to him. He's taking his time, doing all that he can to help people. 
And then this, the religious people of the day, the ones that should know the scriptures, this is what they say. This is not the work of God. This is the work of Satan going on right here. After laying the ultimate insult at the feet of Jesus, I love Jesus always responds, and he responds well. Number three, we see that Jesus responds. We look at verse number 23. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? The scribes have just declared that he's possessed by a devil. What does Jesus do? The first thing that he does, letter A, is he calls them to him. <laughs> that phrase was used of summonsing an adversary in a court of law. I wonder if the scribes were a little nervous when he called him, them to him. And then the second thing that we see, letter B, is we see he spoke in parables. A parable is an analogy and literally means to lay something alongside. A parable took something they understood in order to explain something they did not understand. Jesus' answer is summed up briefly and powerfully in the form of an absurd question. How can Satan cast out Satan? You see that right there? How can Satan cast out Satan? And then Jesus uses in the next few lines right here, the word divided three times in the next three verses to prove his point. The word divided, it means to be disunified dis, um, dis by discord, to be separated into parts. So Jesus' response right here, first of all, is we see, number one, that a divided kingdom cannot stand. Now, when we look at this, his listeners probably thought of Israel, right? You go back to the days of the kings, and after Solomon, you had his son Rehoboam, and God ended up splitting the kingdom between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam didn't quite get half. He only got two tribes. And we see that Jeroboam got ten, basically. And then when we look at this, you got to understand, they could understand the fact that a divided kingdom doesn't stand. It doesn't work that way. It, you cannot be unified together when you're split. Just a little thought, I think that's where our country's at today. A divided kingdom cannot stand. That's what the Bible literally says. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And that's why we look today, we look in our world today, and there are people that are purposely trying to divide things. Why? So that this country won't stand. And I'll leave that there, and you can chew on that more later. The second thing Jesus says is a divided house cannot stand. Verse 25 says, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And that's why it's important we could look at a lot of things. In, the, in your house, in your home, a divided house cannot stand. Mom and dad must be on the same page together under the Lord. Or your house will not stand. A church cannot be divided or it will not stand. 
These are Jesus' words right here. He said these things. And, it's, and we see those things. And that's why it's important as a church, and I want to make sure that we understand something, that we stay together. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be things we look at and say, well, I wouldn't have done this this way. We all can say that. There are going to be times we look back at something and be like, well, that should have been done differently. And after this last year, one of my, fa- one of my sayings I'm going to keep for a while, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can always look back and say, I wish I would have done something differently, but it doesn't always happen that way. But you see, as a church, we've got to stay together on what matters. Exalting our Savior, edifying the saints, and reaching the lost. That is our goal. That's our goal for everything. Any ministry that you serve in, that is the goal. The ladies' ministry yesterday, the goal was not for you to have a great meal and just to do nothing. The goal of the ladies' ministry yesterday was to exalt Jesus Christ, number one, to edify one another, and then if some lady was here that didn't know Christ, to get her the gospel. And I believe from what I've heard, all three of those things happen. But that's the goal. May I just remind you in our kids' ministry, the ultimate goal is to exalt the Savior, to edify those children as they grow in the Lord, and to reach more children for the Lord. That's our goal. Our Christian school, are you ready? What's the goal? To exalt Jesus Christ. To edify those students that come. And to help equip them to reach the lost. That is our whole purpose. And that's going to always be. That is our goal. And so we might disagree about what color the carpet should be. Or what color a chair should be. And that's going to happen. Because some like pink and some don't like pink. Some like gray and some like blue. Some like red. Some like all these different things. But that's not what's important. What is important in a church is exalting Jesus Christ, edifying the saints, and evangelizing the lost. We cannot be divided. We must be together on those things. And then if we're together on our goals, the little things that pop up here or there, we just work together because we have a purpose. Our purpose is what matters. When a church loses its purpose, it loses its function and loses what it's all about. And a house divided cannot stand. The third thing that we see Jesus talk about here is a divided Satan cannot stand. Jesus points out the absurdity of their argument here. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. If Satan were to cast out demons... It would defeat his very own purpose. Satan would never act contrary to his own interests. Satan is all about Satan, what's best for Satan. That's what Jesus is saying. He wants to destroy the work of God, not destroy his own work. He wants to build his work up. And we see in verse number 27, we see Jesus goes a little deeper and goes in for the kill shot right here. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. If you want to take the property of someone's, 
you must overpower the owner. Here Jesus is saying that Satan is the strong man, but he's stronger. When you look at this here, Jesus binds Satan and then plunders his possessions. Someone said it like this, that they believe these possessions or goods are the helpless victims Satan holds in bondage through his demons. The word plunder means, as we look at this here, to snatch, seize, carry away. That's exactly what Jesus has been doing. He is going into this world and, and getting those back from Satan. Satan's the god of this world, right? Do you realize that today? Overall, and we've got to make sure we understand something. God is in control of all things. But the God of this world today is not God. The God of this world is Satan. Don't forget that. And sometimes we forget that. But he is the God of this world. And he is running a lot of things. And you say, well, he, he thinks he's running. God's in control of all things. Don't ever forget that as well. As we look here this morning... And I want you to understand, there's no way that the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is in a league with the Prince of Darkness. Jesus came to conquer the evil one. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8 makes it quite clear. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of, man, Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came, to destroy the works of the devil. And it's quite clear from what we read earlier last week that the demons were falling down before him. So the fact that these scribes would say he's doing the work, he's possessed by Beelzebub. He's doing the work of Satan. Goes contrary to everything that Jesus was doing. Am I correct on that? Now let's keep reading in context. Skip verse 28, because we're going to go back there in a few minutes and go to verse 29. It says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. To blaspheme means defiant irreverence. At its most basic level, it refers to speaking evil against the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the unpardonable sin? In short, as we look at this passage right here, the unforgivable sin is attributing the mighty, miracle-working power of Jesus to Satan. That's what we see right here. That's what this passage says. The scribes witnessed undeniable miracles, undeniable demons being cast out, and instead of giving glory to God and to the Holy Spirit for what has taken place before their very eyes, they claim that he's doing the work of Satan. The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed in this passage. That's why verse 30, look at verse number 30. It says, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. You notice that they continued or persisted because they said this was not a one-time thing, but rather an ongoing 
fixed and settled attitude in their minds that came out their mouths. With that in mind, let me give you a few takeaways this morning about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Number one, always consider the context. Always consider the context. The Bible is put a certain way for a reason. Passages are put together for a reason. I could take any verse I want to in the Bible out of context, and I could preach basically any doctrine I want to. I could tell you that based on whatever your clothes are made out of this morning, that you might not be right with God. I could. I could do a lot of things. Always consider the context. Always. Always. The unforgivable, unpardonable sin is ascribing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two. Christians cannot commit this sin. If you are truly saved, if you're saved, Say, Pastor, why do you word it like that this morning? Because if Jesus had 12 and one of them had a devil inside of him, then it is possible for people to come to church for many years, even be a church member, and not truly be saved. Salvation. Salvation is believing the gospel. It is knowing you're a sinner, knowing there's a penalty on sin, knowing that Jesus Christ paid your price, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, and you believe what he says he did. That's the gospel. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with my good works. It's got nothing to do with my baptism, nothing to do with my church standing. Salvation is through him and through Christ alone. So Christians cannot commit this sin. If you are saved... And I pray that you are. And if you're not, get that settled today. If you're saved, you are secure in your salvation. The Bible tells us, 1 John 5, 11 and 12, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's that simple. If you're saved today... You're secure. The very next verse says, the, basically the fact, these things I've written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life. God does not want a Christian to doubt their salvation. We will doubt. If you've been a Christian very long, there will come periods of doubt in your life. But the Bible's true. And follow what the Word of God says. And if this is unforgivable and you're saved, Guess what? You can't do it. Let me just give you one other little thought right here. I hear a lot of Christians, we hear, and I hear Christians today go on about it. Oh, there's vaccines now, and there's all these things. The mark of the beast is coming. I do not believe the vaccine is the mark of the beast, okay? Make sure you understand that. And you say, oh, what should I do with the vaccine? You research it, and you do what God leads you to do. That's what you need to do. And don't judge someone else on what they do. You take care of you. Don't worry about anybody else. And, uh, but I want you to understand something. The mark of the beast, those that take the mark, can they go to heaven? I don't believe, according to the Bible, that they can. 
So there are those out there that say, well, we're going to be here when that happens. I believe that the rapture will happen before that. But let's just say somehow we end up being here. Let's just throw that out. If you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation. You will not take the mark. Okay? If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you, you will not. So get rid of those fears and doubts and just trust the Lord. And so we see, number two here, that Christians cannot commit this sin. In fact, if you're worried that you're committing this sin, you probably haven't. And you're going to be all right. The, fair, the scribes were not concerned about this. Next. Satan wants, number three, to steal your hope and joy. He wants you to think that you've gone too far to be saved. He wants you to swim in your guilt and in your shame. But as we look at this passage this morning, and as I give you just a few takeaways, there is something that we should remember that there is, and this is a warning to those persisting in unbelief. You see, perhaps you, remember the day you got saved? There was a conviction that took place. Were you convicted? I was convicted. The Holy Spirit of God convicted me of my need for a Savior. And I thank God for that conviction. A dead man getting conviction. Just think about that one for a little bit. That just, that just thrills my soul, what the Lord did in my life and what he's done in your life. But when we look at this and when we think about this here this morning, and we look real close, conviction's a good thing if it leads you to salvation. You are a sinner. If you have not turned to Christ and received Christ, you will not be forgiven. The good news is that Jesus Christ is ready to forgive every one of their sins. Don't put off that decision. One could put it this way, that the only unpardonable sin today is that of continued disbelief. Or unbelief, I should say. If you die in a state of unbelief, your sins will not be forgiven and you will pay your price in hell forever. When we look at this this morning and we think about this, that's kind of a different... I've heard lots of sermons on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've heard a lot. Heard a lot of people with a lot of their opinions and things. And in all honesty, that's a very simple explanation of it today. It's simple because it's just directly what the Bible says. I'll always go with what the Bible says over what some commentator says. The Bible is good. You can trust the Bible. And so, as a believer, you cannot commit this sin. And in fact as we look at what they were doing to blasphemy the Holy Ghost, they were attributing the work that Jesus was doing to Satan. Now, there's some ways that you might possibly kind of get to that point today, but in all honesty, Jesus is not just standing right here. What they committed right here, you see written in the scriptures here, I don't even know if it's possible to completely be done today. Now, you could look at a church and the work they're doing and saying the devil's doing that, I get that. But literally, they were referring straight to Jesus and the work the Holy Spirit was doing through him. So this was a unique circumstance right here. Take the Bible with what it says, and the only way you will not be forgiven today is by not trusting Christ as your Savior. Let's go back to verse 28, and we'll end right here. 
This is what's interesting. We always take the negative verses and things and we major on those. I don't hear many people preach on verse 28. We mentioned, we all know about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. But look at verse 28. It says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, whether whithsoever they shall blaspheme. And then it says, But he that, bla- he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never forgiveness, but in danger of eternal damnation. When we look at verse 28, I want to just give you a couple little thoughts here. The word, right, Jesus used the word verily. This is truth, is what Jesus is saying. He is stating he's about to say something that's authoritative and reliable. It's verily, it's like, listen up. Let, get what I'm going to say. Not only is it the truth, but we see it's authoritative. Because he says, verily I say, Jesus The Son of God says this. Not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not anyone else. Jesus says this himself. So he says, I say. He's like, listen up. I'm not quoting anybody here. I'm not quoting an Old Testament prophet. I am saying right here. And he's saying, listen up. I'm the Lord. I'm about to tell you something. And then he makes it personal. Verily I say unto you, this message is for everyone, even today. And next you'll notice, all sin shall be forgiven. And look at, I love that phrasing right there. Wherewith soever, that's quite a wording right there. Do you know that all, have, has anybody ever looked up in Greek what the word all means? Are you ready? It means all. It's a tough one. I know sometimes we have a tough one. And we look um, and we think about that word, wherewithsoever. Just think of whatever. And guess what that means? Whatever. Yeah. They mean the same thing. All sinful behavior and slanderous blasphemies against God can be forgiven. That's what that verse says, right? That's what Jesus Christ did when he died for us. We think about Isaiah 1, verse number 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Two verses down from there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be forgiven today. You can move forward with the Lord. Satan would want nothing more than for you to believe that your sins will never be forgiven. But if you know Jesus, your sins are forgiven. But if you die in your sins, you'll never be forgiven. There's no second chance There's no do-over. As Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It's dangerous to hear the gospel message and decide to walk away. Don't forfeit the forgiveness he wants to give you. You don't know today. Get that settled today. 
Why did Jesus come? Well, the last verse you got, Mark 1.15, we read as he began his thing, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Turn from what you've been believing in and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be saved today. And so this was not your typical Sunday morning message this morning. But I hope that you learned something. And you might have a different opinion. But last time I checked, God didn't make you the pastor of this church. And uh, I just took the Bible for what it said. So if you want to quote your favorite commentator over my favorite commentator, Jesus, go ahead. And, that, and you can figure that out or you can come see me and we can talk about more if you've got any more questions about that. Father.